0: opportunity to share. I, don't, I can't tell you enough how good it does my heart just to have an opportunity to let out some of the stuff that I feel like, you know, as you're kind of pressing on through your own life. I've always had this sensation that the things that I go through aren't just for me, that sometimes they are to share with other people, because that's how you turn chaos into testimony, is when you take a moment to realize you are not where you were and you were somewhere completely different. And in that passing through that chasm, there was a the grace of God that lifted you up and helped you to get to the other side. And sometimes we have to take a minute and notice. You ever notice that we actually go from thing to thing? I don't know, maybe I'm the only one, but you get one thing accomplished, and it's never, your list never ends. There's something else on it. You know, there's that next thing. Well, this morning it was funny, you know, I was texting, trying to see, you know, hey, you know, where am I going, what am I doing? And... and uh, I was running kind of late, and that's normally, I like to be early, I'm not, I don't like to be late, you know, yeah, that old, I guess it's the, my daddy in me, whereas if you're 15 minutes early, you're on time kind of thing, and so uh, I said, well, you know, I've got to hurry, and then the Lord said, no, you need to put this story in the top, and I, and I you know, have you ever argued with God, and I'm like, Lord, I don't have time, I got to do this, I got to do that, I don't even have my shirt on, and the Lord's like, look, it'll go a whole lot faster if you just listen. So apparently there's somebody here today that needs to hear this old story that I have told before, but, but it, it kind of takes us someplace that we need to go today. So you might remember this story. 25 or so years ago, they opened a thing called the Anaconda at Bush Gardens. It was a, and a fully enclosed water slide. It was pretty intense, and there was a group of us that said, yeah, we need to do that. Okay, that's a lack of common sense right there now as I look back. But as we climbed the, the 900 steps, it was probably only like 50, but it felt like 900, to get to the top, and, and I, and I know you know this, when you go to some new rides, when they open, the line goes all the way up the steps, right? So it's a long climb by virtue of it, just a lot of people. Well, when I finally get to the top, this is what I see. See, once you're at the bottom, you are woo! When you get to the top and the water's rustling and you're sitting on the hole and it's your turn to go, there's that part of you that says, this was probably not the best decision, right? And you, you realize that you can't chicken out because all your friends are with you going, hey, come on, let's go, hurry up, woo! They haven't seen the hole yet. They're back there, right? And, and all those people that you'll have to walk by, the walk of shame to go back down all those steps, Right? <laughs> Cause they're gonna see ya and know, chicken, the whole rest of the day in the park. Oh, there she is. She didn't go. right, you know, you just know it. You just feel it. As you get older, by the way, your give a hooter gives out a little bit on that. You stop worrying about what everybody thinks so much. But when you're younger, boy, you are all about it, right? So I'm sitting in the hole and I remember that the 16 year old wise person telling me to go, three, two, one, go. And I'm still sitting there. And then it kind of changes the demeanor a little bit because you can hear the other people behind you saying, hurry up, go, come on, go, three, two, one, go. And then all of a sudden they tap you on the shoulder and say, look, either get up and get on or go. And the next thing I knew there was this little nudge. And whether I wanted to or not, gravity had taken over, right? And I am in this hole. Now, you see how there's a complexity to this tunnel system? I can honestly tell you I felt every rivet, Every bump, every connection in that pipe. And because I wasn't truly ready, I didn't launch out with, I was, I was flailing. As I'm, I'm, the gravity's taking over, I'm going as fast as I can go. And I am getting turned around, and I don't know which end is up. Honest to goodness, I felt like you ever get in the middle of something and you're going, Jesus, get me out of this. You start calling out to God. Maybe that call out should have been maybe at the bottom of the steps before the decision. (laughs) Maybe at the top of the hole when I was feeling that. That was maybe God going, might not want to do this. Right? But but no, I'm in the middle of it now. I'm in the thick. There's no way back up. I'm going to have to get out. And I didn't know how long it was because I'd never done it before. So I'm going round and round and round and round and round. Then I come out of the end of the tube. I am so turned around and I've screamed the whole way that I finally take a breath and it's a breath of water because now I'm under the water and I'm flailing around and I'm freaking out and I'm certain I'm going to drown right here. And I'm not kidding. In my mind, we were in a catastrophic moment and people were not taking it seriously. Seriously. And in the background, I hear, and I'm like, what in the world I can hear through the rumble of the water and the sound of all the stuff, the noise in the park, until finally I realize that the guy on the side of the pool, a three-foot pool, is saying simply, stand up. I had flipped myself into such turmoil, I was convinced that I was in the deep, I could not touch the bottom, I was all turned around, I didn't know, and then when I hear the 16 year old on the side of the pool say, stand up, (laughs) that's when you realize you feel so foolish and relieved all at once, because that's when, you know, you got to collect yourself so you don't feel an idiot, you're like, oh yeah, I knew that, okay, I'm good. But the truth of the matter is, for years after that, there was no way I was going near a water slide because all I could think of, that nearly killed me. Right? I was fine. I was going to be okay. All of those things, it was going to be all right. I, I came out the other side. It was good. But because I didn't know what I'd gotten myself into and I'd never done it before, my assumption of catastrophic was immediate until the kid on the side of the pool simply tells me, Two liberating words, stand up. Sometimes that's what we're searching for: is where's the bottom? How do, we, how do we get our feet under us? How do we how do we find our way when we're in the middle of what appears to be a catastrophic situation? You know, that's when you go through those deep waters. It says, I'll be with you. And they're not literal deep waters. It's those figurative deep waters. It's the deep waters in here. It's the deep waters in here. It's those thoughts and moments and things you've been through that that can take you places that you want to run from so desperately. It's the deep waters that that come with depression and sadness. It's the deep waters that come with the, the ache of heartbreak. It's the deep waters that come with disappointments. It's the deep waters that lead you to that place where you say, you know, there's something missing. I don't feel satisfied. I want something more. Am I the only one that's ever felt that? Because when we're realistic about what those deep waters are and we begin to understand that we're not alone in those deep waters, that those things happen to take us to a higher place that take us to that place where we hear God say, Stand up! I got gotcha. you! This is not the end of you. That's when we realize that, that loving embrace of a Savior that cares, the Savior that, that will whisper in a still, small voice, Stand up! It's okay! I'm, I'm not, you're you're going to come through this. You're going to survive this. There's more for you. i got a call for you. There's more. Isaiah says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. So when we read that, we say, wow, there's a lot of heavy, deep stuff happening there, right? And here's the thing that, that left off the page for me initially. When you pass through the waters, not if. When you pass through the rivers, not if. When you walk through the fire, not if. There is an expectation that we need to have that as a believer, as a Christian, that is not the guarantee that life just became easy. It is not the guarantee that there will not be difficulties. There is not the guarantee that there will not be challenges that are overwhelming. That's where I feel like people miss it in their relationship with Jesus as they assume, hey, I love Jesus, Jesus loves me. Nothing bad should ever happen. That's not realistic. We live in this life and he provides for us in all of these circumstances to show us that he cares for us. We live in a, we're, not on, we're not in heaven. We're on earth. There are, are bad things that happen here. And he wants to do his best to help you through those things. He wants you to trust him that he cares for you. And that if a bad thing happens, that does not mean he doesn't love you. It means he will equip you to stand up. It won't take you out. God will take you in. So there's a phrase that I've heard over and over in the past few weeks. I've heard it at work, I've been going to the rehab place, now look, I'm almost a chicken dance, I'm getting there, right, I'm getting there, right, I can brush my teeth without brushing my ears, so we're good, we're getting there, right, so, so we're, we're moving in the right direction, okay, but there, I've heard it over and over, everywhere I have been the past couple weeks, and for some reason, uh, I have just gravitated to it every time I heard it, and I'm, I'm curious if you've heard it, I've heard, what a mess. Have you heard that? Have you said it? Woo, what a mess. You can walk in, in the bedroom and you go, woo, what a mess. When the water heater overflowed the other day, woo what a mess. All right? You, you know what I'm saying. And then, then I was in the rehab place, and there's a lady sitting over there, you know, and she's doing her thing, and I guess she'd had hip replacement or something, and I heard her say, woo, what a mess. And I thought, yep, I, I feel you. I know exactly. What a mess. I've said it myself. Because things got complicated. Things, all of a sudden, little things became hard and difficult. All of a sudden, those things that were like part of the daily routine of what I do, uh, to, from going to help mom to, to getting Nicholas and going to a track meet, everything became complicated and difficult. All of a sudden, what a mess. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever said it? Have you ever really felt like, man, what a mess? And often we say it under our breath, even. What a mess. And it's referring sometimes to the physical, it's referring sometimes to the emotional, sometimes it's just referring to the catastrophic nature of not even knowing what to do. But that's our word. That's in those deep waters are most commonly referred to today in our vernacular as a mess. What a mess. Mess, it's a noun, it's a description, it, it tells you, you know, person, place, or thing, it can cover all sorts of things. Mess is, con, can, is all-encompassing word, but it's a state of confusion and disorder. You, you just feel like, I am uncertain. I'm uncertain. Well, here are seven reasons to trust God with your mess. Number one, it's really important to me. This scripture was very helpful to me a long time ago. It says God is more compassionate than you realize is the number one thing. In Psalms, it tells us that God not only sees our tears, but he collects them. Did you know that there is a scripture that says he's collected every tear you've cried? Did you were you aware? A lot of people have glossed over that one. That means that our hurt matters more to him than we may realize because he truly cares. He cares so much. Have you ever had somebody comfort you with a tissue? A stranger walk up and they just go here and they hand you a tissue and you're like, I oh, thank you. And it means something to you because in that moment where you're so sad it's seeping out that somebody says, here, let me comfort you. Let me wipe your tears away. Can you imagine in those moments where you have cried the most? God says, hey, look, I'm right here with you, and every tear that's rolled down your cheek, I've, kept, I've got it in a bottle. I've kept it, because I'm keeping a record of those things that have hurt you, because I want to heal you. I'm keeping a record of the things that were catastrophic, because I want you to experience the miracle of healing. Can you imagine? I remember when uh, I was married a long time ago, and when I discovered that my husband was extremely unfaithful, I bet I filled that up 15 times. That scripture leapt off the page at me at that time, and I thought to myself, God, you don't have a bottle big enough, which is ridiculous, but it's the way we feel. You just feel the catastrophic nature of something just destroying your heart, and you wonder, how will I ever recover from this? And then God steps in, and there's a grace that you can't explain that then comforts you in knowing he cares that much. God cares about the mess. He cares enough to know when you're crying, know even when it doesn't come out that inside the ache is there, he cares enough to collect it, to save it, to say, look, I noticed. I accounted for every one of them, and I was there with you. That's the comfort that we get as believers in Christ through His caring for us. The second one is your situation did not take God by surprise. Have you ever felt like something really surprised you? When I came home that day, which I don't talk about this very much at all, when I came home that day, it looked like my house had been robbed. The decision had been made, I had no idea. And when I come home and it looks, the cabinets are empty, stuff is gone. My neighbors thought because we were doing a house renovation, that the stuff going in the truck was just part of the renovation. I had no idea. But I come home, to stuff gone, and keys on the counter. And I had absolutely no idea. We'd had breakfast together that morning, planning a vacation. No idea. There's a catastrophic nature to that surprise. But what I'm telling you is that just because it caught me off guard didn't mean it caught God off guard. He was still available. He was there. He was willing. He was ready to help. He was ready to comfort. Psalms reminds us that God is familiar with all of our ways, where we've been, what we're doing now, where we're going. Before the word is even on our tongues or out of our mouths, he knows what's going on. So trust that he already knows. See, there's there's those secret things that people keep inside, and they go, oh, you know, I can't really talk to God because of this. Do you think he doesn't know the this? Because I'm here to tell you there are no secrets. He knows. But the difference is when you think that you can keep one from God. Because now all you're doing is separating yourself from, from the grace that God wants to extend you in that circumstance. He's waiting for you to say, yeah, this wasn't the best thing. Forgive me, Lord. He's ready to to bridge that chasm for you because he already knows. He knows what you're thinking. He knows where you've been. He knows where you're going. And he knows where you can go if you'll accept his help along the way. Continuing with that second one, true faith it's the assurance of things hoped for. One, one, uh, the NIV said, and the conviction of things not seen. And the King James says, the evidence of things not seen. Either way, it's not a tangible. It's a knowing. It's a relationship. So we exercise true faith by being assured and convinced that God is in control. So when surprises happen... When the unexpected happens, it is not outside of the reach of your loving, living Savior. You may be surprised, but he's got you every minute. He's got you. Do you believe that? Because that's that catastrophic nature of things. That's where the devil really has an opportunity to throw us off the track, is we get so waylaid with surprise that all of a sudden we forget That God cares about every aspect of our lives, including the things we cannot explain or did not expect. And He doesn't deserve the blame for the stupidity of people. I don't know, that's probably a harsh word. But He doesn't. God didn't do it to me, God didn't do it to you. And we often, I can't tell you how many times I have met with young Christians and they said, well, why did God let that happen? I worked 9-11. I went and filmed a bunch of things and interviewed a lot of people and there were many things that to this day I would like to just erase from my brain that I didn't need to see. And the one thing I encountered more often than not was the first one was, why did God let this happen? And the second one was people feeling guilty that they were not there. I'll never forget the one guy that I interviewed who was standing on the edge of the site, and he was in a suit, and and he just looked out of place, and this was about a week or so after, and I went over to talk to him, and he was just crying, and I said, I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry, you know, did you lose someone? He goes, well, yeah, I lost him. He started telling me about his colleagues, and he goes, you know what bothers me the most? Shoestrings. Shoestrings. He said, yeah, I was late for work that day. I stopped at the, I believe they had the CVS on the corner there. And he said, and I went in because I had broken a shoestring. on well, my dress shoes. And I went and got the shoestring and I got in line. And there was a long line and the cash register wasn't working and the people were going slow and I was late for work. And he goes, and I was mad about it. I was uptight. I was telling them, come on, let's go. You know, New York. I don't know if you've ever lived and worked in New York, but, but there, is a, there is an intensity there that's normal. Hey! You know, that's just the way it is. And that's not being mean to you. That's just the way they communicate. So he was ready to go. And when he finally got up there and he got his shoestring and he fixed his shoe, he said, I was going as fast as I could and I got to turn the corner. And that's when the plane hit. He said, it delayed me just long enough. So his issue at that point was, why me? Why did I get delayed? Why was my shoe broken? Why didn't my colleagues miss the bus? Why, Why wasn't everybody else late? Those are questions that I'm not equipped to answer, but I'm certainly God can. I'm certain that God can. But my point is, if you are here because something did not happen to you, that means God has some amazing purpose for you get on with it. Because the looking back at the why will not get you into where he's called you to go. When they're asking why did this happen... I don't know the wise. I do know there's evil in this world. I do know that bad things happen. But what I do also know is that when bad things happen, good people rise up. There's a God that loves you so much that when bad things happen, he says, here, let me embrace you. Let me help you. Let me lift you up. Let me encourage you. I still love you. That did not define you. Have you ever had a moment happen in your life that all of a sudden it was your defining moment and it wasn't necessarily a good one? Who defined you? God said, I love you so much, I stretched out my arms and I died for you. And then I rose from the dead to give you the promise of eternity. So his definition of you is priceless. But have you allowed an event in your life to define you to the point that you're not priceless anymore? That's not God's definition. That's yours. God is much more capable of managing your life than you are. Well, here's an epiphany. Woo! (laughs) We often believe we have the best solutions for our problems. And I put this in italics because I'm certain I'm the only one that does this. In fact, there are times when we suggest to God what he ought to do in a particular situation. I'm not the only one that says, really, what you need to do, who you need to get. You see what I'm saying? All of a sudden, that, that, that flesh in us comes out in the form of a prayer. Bless them, Lord, smite them. The scripture talks about heaping coals of condemnation on their head. Before you know it, you're just, right? Their grace is kind of evaporated because you're in the moment. But scripture assures us that his ways are higher than our ways, and his methods and his timing are are so much better than ours. He is God, we are not. I tell you my favorite movie line quote, I've told you a million times. Rudy, the old priest looks at him and says, there is a God, I'm not him. (laughs) Right, so that's where we're at. There is a God, I'm certainly not him, and I'm fairly certain you're not either. All right, so uh, give it to him because he can handle it. He can handle it. When life is overwhelming, when there's a solution that you're seeking, give it to God. We wear bracelets. We give them away all the time. It says, God's got it. Does he really? Okay? And if you believe that, then that means that you can't take it back. When I was a kid, I worried a lot. I was, I was always, I've always been very, um, uh, I, I used to be very concerned about everything. I, I, I was a doer. You make a list. You check it off. You do all these things. And I've shared this story with you before, but I remember in high school, I had all these things on my mind and all this stuff, and I felt like the Lord said, write them all down. So I did, and I wrote them down, and I thought I was, I was an overachiever. I had a yellow pad. I did back in front of four pages of a yellow pad, single space. Man, I was overachieving. Okay, Lord, I wrote down everything that could possibly worry me, all the things that as a kid you think about, all the things that seem catastrophic that now in hindsight, if I could look at that list again, I'd probably go, for real right now. But nonetheless, at that moment in my life, they were a big deal. And then God said, and it was just in my heart and head, he said, okay, Um, go get a rock, and I did, and I got one about the size of a softball, and he said, go ahead and tape that list to that rock, I played softball at the time, I was kind of good at it, and so I said, all right, that was speaking my language, he was speaking to me in a way I could understand, so I, oh man, it was good, duct tape, it was on there, I went to Cedar Landing, that's one of the places I like to go sometimes and pray, you know, it's just, I don't know, something about being close to the water, and so I drive down to Cedar Landing, it was at night, dusk, and the Lord said, go ahead, now I want you to take that rock, and I want you to throw it as far and as hard as you can. And, well, that's something I'm good at. I can do that, okay, speak in my language. And so I hauled off and cranked that thing as far and as hard as I could, and I bet I came halfway to Langley Field. I was just, I sent it, you know, and I was pretty proud of myself. I felt pretty good. She was gone until right after it left my hand, and I saw it hit the water. In my heart, I heard the Lord say, now go get it. Okay, maybe I shouldn't have thrown it so hard. And if you've ever been crabbing down there at Cedar Landing, that's a... I mean, there was, there was no way to actually get there without a little skiff or something because you'd sink halfway up before you got three steps in. And I thought, well, Lord, that's, that's impossible. I can't get it back. I guess I could try to figure out. I could go get Daddy's boat. I could try, you know, if that's what you want me to do, I'm going to do it. But I said, it's impossible, really. And then the Lord said, that's the point. When you cast your cares on me, you don't get them back. You've got to let them go. You've got to let me be God. You've got to let me figure it out. But every time you cast a care and every time you tell me, okay, God's got it, and then you come and get it and take it back and start stewing it all over again, crockpotting what you're going to do, you're not trusting me. It was a message about trust. It was a message about God saying, look, do you really trust me with this big thing? Because you're not going to figure out the answer. I've got it. So what I really need you to do, now that you wrote it all down, is say, all right, Lord, I've given you these things, and when they cross my mind again, I'm going to say, Lord, I know you got it. Help me. Because it takes discipline to step outside of that list making worry. It takes effort. All right, number four. We're getting there. See, you're going to get to lunch early. Four, almost to seven. All right. <clears throat> God can clear up the mess in a moment. Have you ever experienced that God clearing grace were well, all of a sudden in a moment. I remember one time I was going on a missions trip, and we were going to the Philippines, and I was young, and everything's expensive, and you know, you're working, you're trying to pay for it, and there was money needed or whatever, and, and I was just praying, God help me, and out of the blue, I get a letter from somebody that I had not heard from in years, and when I opened it up, it was exactly the amount that I needed to go on that trip, and I was like, what? I had not asked. I had not done anything to to, to you know, Make them think in that direction. I hadn't even heard from them. And then when I called and said, hey, thank you, what in the world? And they said, I don't know. I was just praying and God said to do this. So that my need became a blessing to them that they then saw fulfill a need that I was praying for. They all of a sudden connected the dots that they were an answer to a prayer. Have you been an answer to a prayer? I'm going to say yes. You may not realize it, but most of you have. And have you needed an answer to prayer? And somebody else stepped up. Those are the things where in a moment, God can clear things up. He's got all sorts of ways that he does things. But in Romans, it assures us that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God. To those who are called according to his purpose. This next verse is really important. Because it says how he works that good. It said, God wants us to be conformed to the image of his son. There it is. God wants us to be more like Jesus through and in response to our troubles. Are you teachable in the middle of trouble? Are you teachable? Jesus, what do you want me to do? Because if you do what you've always done, you're going to get what you've always gotten. Do you want something different to happen? Then start embracing, all right, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because what I want to do is this. And then God says, no, wait. Here's what I'd rather you do. And that is really hard discipline that is extremely rewarding once you engage in it, to realize that God wants to help you live a better life through your struggles, turning your struggles into testimonies where you can actually see the fingerprints of God in the solutions. God is incapable of misunderstanding, mismanagement, or mistakes. We we'll See, sometimes we trust people with things and they disappoint us because they don't do it quite right or they didn't quite follow directions or they didn't show up when they said they would and you know all those things that make us disappointed with one another that's not who God is Deuteronomy reminds us that his works are perfect and all his ways are just that means that God never gets it wrong you and I on the other hand well we're fully capable of making an even bigger mess of things I read a a testimony once and the guy wrote at the bottom quit your meddling and let him work his miracle do you meddle I do sometimes, for sure. Come on, God. Come on, for real right now? We've been praying for this. I've been asking, do I need to do this? Should I do something different? And then have you ever noticed that if you don't see God moving fast enough, you try to help and maybe get ahead of him a little bit? Number six, God already has the problem solved. Whatever you're here today with, whatever you're watching today with, the solution is already available to you. It's on the way. Do you have an expectation of solution? I meet more and more people every day who have no expectation of solution. They have expectation of continuation of problem. Do you have an expectation of solution? Do you believe that God has a solution for you, whatever the problem may be? Because he does. Do you know that you find what you're looking for? Now this is gross, but when I have a dog, when I go to cut the yard I got to go and find whatever right so it's not glamorous but it's part of dog ownership got a poop scoop right but you know when I'm looking over my yard from my house I don't see any of that but when I go looking for it I find it I am not disappointed ever Life is the same way. What are you looking for? When you expect the worst, you will find it. When you expect his best, you will receive it. Where are you? Check your own litmus. And I'm talking to me too. I don't ever stand here going, oh, I've figured it all out. No, I'm just sharing with you my journey, right? But you find what you're looking for. So if you're looking for the catastrophic, I guarantee you, you will find it. But if you want peace and chaos, start looking for peace. Start recognizing what does peace look like. Number seven. A messy situation is one of the primary ways God awakens our need for him, grows our dependence on him, shapes our character, and draws us closer. God loves messy people. There is nothing that you have done that God will not love you through. There is nothing you have done that God will not forgive you for. There's nothing you have done that God will not redeem into a testimony if you will allow him to. You are not stuck unless you choose to be. That's a harsh word, isn't it? Hard to believe that sometimes we can dig ourselves into misery. Because it is uncomfortable to step out into something that is... Unfamiliar, where you're looking for peace, where you're being careful what you say, where you're you're not being the. I I often have friends that go to Thanksgiving with family, and they say, "Oh," I said, "Look, empty your pockets," and they're like, "What are you talking about? Don't take any matches with you." You say, "What are you talking about, Angela? You know those little one-word things you say, and you. Next thing you know, the whole family is in a roar about something. Leave the matches home." That's a discipline problem. But here's the thing. Every situation that you're in, God wants to help you. He wants to meet you at your place of need. You are not alone. You are not isolated. You are not the only one that's ever experienced what you're going through. And he cares deeply for you. You can't outmistake the love of God. I don't know if that makes any sense. But you can't be so horrible and so ridiculous that God says, you know, I'm done with you. People, on the other hand, gladly do that. You get to a pinch point, you get a little too inconveniencing, you get a little too needy, the next thing you know, don't think that God loves you the same way people do. Far more than you could ask or think is what he wants to provide. Life is messy. Messies are not always because of something you've done wrong. Sometimes it just happens. The night when my mom had a heart attack because my dad had just died and I had the hearse and the ambulance parked side by side and my brother and I were like rock, paper, scissors to see which one was going with which. I didn't cause any of that. It just happened. It was a messy situation, but the grace of God was sufficient and a moment that I could not have imagined, and I'll be honest with you, was one of the lists on that yellow piece of paper that I threw in at Cedar Landing when I was 16 years old, the death of your parents. Those are things you carry. And then all of a sudden you're in the middle of it and there is a grace that you're like, whoa, this is weird. I'm not freaking out. I'm not crying my head off. I'm not being illogical. Somehow something kicks in and you're able to just Do what you need to do. That's the grace of God. But God wants us to use those messes to draw us into a deeper dependence on him. I was acutely aware in that moment that there's no way I would survive it without him. I didn't even want to try. I couldn't even imagine not having a relationship with Jesus as Lord and personal Savior and being in that moment of catastrophic nature for me. I couldn't even imagine that. Those are the things that make our messes meaningful. They draw us closer to our Savior. When all of a sudden you are cognizant that there is a grace that is sustaining you. When you feel that comfort that only God can give you. When the words of people fall short, but God's silent, still, small voice takes you to places that you've never been before. Because you need him so deeply. Have you ever felt that? And it's in those messes where you feel that. It's in those unexpected moments. It's in that, that place where you never thought you'd be. And instead of being embarrassed by it, and instead of being just destroyed to the point that you can't even function anymore, you say, Lord, help me. And he always listens. He always responds. He always cares. He wants to draw you closer and show you how much he loves you. James tells us to consider it all joy when we encounter various trials, knowing the testing of our faith will produce endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Can you imagine that the trials and tribulations that you go through, that those things that are producing endurance, and I don't know much about running. I mean, I knew, hey, you run from first to second, third, you know. but I was never one of those long-distance runners. My son does that, and when I, when I see them running, they, they know something about endurance. They know how to press through, you know, and all these aches here and that there and, oh, my leg, but they know how to keep going. There's something, they're learning endurance. Not because they got off the couch and decided to run a mile, but because they run every day. They're building that endurance. That endurance in your faith, it's a run you take every day. You wake up in the morning and you start your run. It's a faith run. It's the one that starts with prayer. It's the one that's supported by by what you read in the scripture. It's the one that allows you to pray for others. It's the race of endurance that says, oh, wow, this happened today. Oh, my goodness, Lord, help me. It's the It's that endurance of need. Do you run a race every day with the Lord? Do you understand endurance? Endurance isn't painless, but it is purposeful. Do you run with endurance? Because that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to find meaning in the mess, and the meaning in the mess is a deeper relationship with him. So when you go through the deep waters, he reminds us, I will be with you. When are we going to get to the point where panic isn't our first step? When you know that Jesus loves you. When you know God is going to help you. When you know that you're not alone. When you know you're not isolated. When you know you're not the only one feeling the way you feel. When you know that what you are feeling is temporary. When you know that feelings lie. You ever feel that? You, ever, you know what I'm talking about? Something can tell you, oh, you don't want to go in there. They don't want you there. Some of you right now today, they don't want me at church. They don't want me to go. (sighs) Who knows who I'll see? Feelings lie. It separates you from from experiencing that grace of God saying, yeah, come on in. When you know that this is not where you need to go as your first response. Panic, freak out, overwhelming. Sometimes you've got to know him well enough to go, wow, this this is, I can honestly say, when my mom had... issue that day I was dumbfounded I didn't know what to do all I could think of to do Jesus 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 I remember saying that about 9,000 times because I knew he knew I didn't he did help me Jesus help me Jesus and then all of a sudden you start praying the scriptures you do know I will live and not die says the Lord You will live and not die, says the Lord. You start going with what you know instead of how you feel. Can you do that? God is calling you to go with what you know. And if you're not sure what you know, there you go. That's where you're going to have to get in here. And it's really simple. They eased it up for us. Those red letters, Jesus said it. So if you're not sure where to start, the highlighted is the one that Jesus said directly. Start there. Look for the red letters. Says he will never leave you nor forsake you. Says he does not lie, that his promises are true. Start there. Start someplace where your panic can subside while God's grace becomes sufficient. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. You are not alone. That's the biggest lie of the devil. He isolates. He says, Oh, you're the only one. Nobody will understand. And when you talk to other people, they may not. But God will. God will understand right where you are. You don't have to clean it up for him. Bring it to him messy. He's okay with that. He can handle it. At some point, we got to get like this. I took a scuba class. I love to scuba dive. You guys don't know that, but I do. And um, there comes a point where in your preparedness, when the water gets deep. All right, look. I was on a boat once. Sailboat. Middle of the Mediterranean. Every night I'd go out. It was super, super dark. So the stars were beautiful. I'd never been in a place where it was so dark. And it was a sailboat, but it was a bigger boat. It had about 200 people on it. So I'd go to the bridge in the middle of the night. And every time, every night I'd go up there because I just loved seeing these stars look like I could just grab them. It was so dark. And the captain's up there. And, and I would always say, hey, captain, how deep is it? And he'd read me off some fathom thing or whatever, and I'd say... And he'd say, oh, looking about uh, 3,500 feet. 3,500 feet. And he saw the look on my face, which was, oh! <laughs> because that's significantly deeper than I was expecting. And he said, he goes, every night you ask me how deep it is. He said, can I tell you something? You know, and he's a British guy, going to clue me in. I'm saying, sir, yes, sir, go ahead. And he said, you're uh, over your head. Who cares how deep it is? <laughs> I thought... Really good point. Really good point. You know I, 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 you know, I read all those books, you know, about the sea monsters and stuff, and I'm thinking the octopus is going to come over the bow any minute because we're in deep water. But when you, when you scuba, you're, you're prepared. You, you've got your oxygen. You've got your, your mask. You've got your buoyancy. You've got your tank. You've got all this stuff. You're prepared so that when the water's over your head, instead of freaking around and fladdling around like I did in the kiddie pool, bush gardens, there's a, there's a sense of you have to be peaceful. It, it forces you not to panic because panic uses up your oxygen and then you can't stay as long. So you've got to just be calm. It's okay. It's okay. This is your oxygen tank right here. This can help you be calm when the water feels like it's over your head. This right here. Here's your oxygen. And when you panic, you miss some of what God has for you. If you can just take a second and go, yep, it's deep. Remember the old guy saying, once it's over your head, (laughs) who cares how deep it is, right? You're over your head. God is an expert at over your head. He is an expert at things you can't handle. He is an expert at stuff that leaves you dumbfounded. He is an expert at mess. He knows how to deal with mess. So God has already put in his spirit put his spirit in the hearts of all believers as a guarantee of all they have been given in Christ. His spirit. So God has already put, put his spirit in our hearts. And you know I wasn't going to come without a bag. Right? And I don't want to disappoint you. But as I was thinking about this and reading and talking to my other pastor friends and just trying to come up with something I could share with you that wouldn't make a mess. And Dana, you don't have to like damage the carpet today. So... Um, <laughs> I realized that maybe it was just something simple like this. This is a work glove, right? It was designed to do work. It's a really good one. Velcro and everything, right? All right. So So, it it was designed to do work. It's it's purpose, right? So now, that glove, okay? I need this book to be moved to here. So I'm just going to simply tell the glove, move the book. Because it was designed for work. That's what it's supposed to do. Move the book. Move the book. Maybe I just need to be more encouraging. Come on, man. You can do it. Move the book. Maybe it needs a little discipleship. Look, all you really have to do, the thumb goes here, the finger goes there, and then you move the book. Rather disappointing, isn't it? Maybe, maybe... I just need to pray for the glove to move the book. Should we just spend a little time just praying for the glove to move the book? I know what it is. The glove needs support. It needs the fellowship of other believers. It needs to be in a small group with other gloves. It needs to get in that small group with other gloves and understand that it is called to be a glove and that there are special things that, that working gloves can do. Still nothing. What is missing? See, the glove is the analogy of our faith being a Christian. And so we are each created with a unique purpose, and God has something for each of us to do. But in and of ourselves, we are incapable of doing any of it. But when we allow the Spirit of God to fill us we become really useful, really helpful. And there's all sorts of things that we can do that we could not do without him ever. That's where we need to get with our relationship with God. We need to understand that we are useful vessels, that God has a purpose and a plan for you, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, and that he wants to fill you up to capacity. Because those things you can't imagine yourself doing, God says far more than you can ask or think I can do. That's what God wants to do for you. So we need to receive Jesus as Lord and personal Savior. We pray for it at the end of every one of these messages. And we hope people hear it. And we hope you've done it. But I'm telling you right now, that's what changes it from a wish it would happen to an empowerment of it happening. Whatever it is God's called you to do. But to all who did receive him. Who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift from God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The promises are yours. The empowerment is yours. We have to repent. We confess our sins. Once we know Jesus is Lord and personal Savior, that doesn't mean we're perfect. We've got issues. We repent. We say, God, please forgive us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us all of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's nothing you have done that God will not forgive you for. Nothing. And rest. Rest in the good news of what Jesus has done for you he saved you therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus so when you pass through the waters i will be with you when you pass through the rivers you will not be swept away and it will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. He has told you in his promises, he said, I am with you, not only when it happens, but I'm going to take you through it every time if you walk with me. That's what we're called to do today. So I'm going to pray right now and anybody here today, you've got a burden, you've got a mess, you've got something going on. We're going to give it to Jesus today. We're going to give it to God. We're going to allow God to do his thing. And we're going to realize that there is a God and we're not him. And then we're going to take a minute to just trust him to do what he does best, which is provide peace and comfort and direction and wisdom. Let's try something different today. Let's pray. Lord God, I come to you in the name of Jesus, and I thank you, Father, that you care for us. I thank you, God, you care for our message. All those places, Lord, where we feel empty or or somehow unfulfilled or uncertain. I thank you, Lord God, you care about all those things. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that you care for each and every one individually. I thank you, God, that we can't keep any secrets from you. You know our hearts. And in some cases, God, you're just waiting for us to share what you already know with you. You're not pushy. You're loving. I thank you, Lord God, that you have offered each one of us today an opportunity to lay down our mess and pick up your grace, to lay down our mess and and pick up your solutions, to lay down our mess and, and have an opportunity to hear your wisdom, direct us, and to be willing to go in places and in directions that we maybe have never gone before because you're guiding us and leading us and giving us your peace. Help us, God, to hear your voice and follow your direction. Lord, if there's anyone right now who is listening and says, you know, I'm not sure if I know Jesus as Lord and personal Savior. I'm not sure that that he loves me. Well, let me assure you right now, he does. And all you do, it's, unfortunately, it just sounds so simple that people can't receive it. But I'm praying today that you can. You simply say, Lord Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and personal Savior. I believe that you died on the cross and you rose again. I believe, Lord God, that you right now will forgive the sins that I've committed and that you love me very much and that you want a personal relationship with me. Lord God, I I ask right now, if anyone has prayed that prayer today, that you touch them where they are, that you lift them up, you encourage them and help them, Lord God, to hear your voice and follow your directions. And God, for those who already know you, who are just saying, you know, life's a struggle, right now, Father, I pray your liberating power into their lives. I pray, God, that they feel your presence and your peace and your mercy and your grace and they are uplifted and encouraged and that the spirit of joy is restored and that they, God, see your hand working mightily in their lives. Thank you, Jesus, for taking such good care of us and for caring about us so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank oh. you. I'm his
1: mother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.